This is the Aftermarket Radio Network. Hey everyone, Carm Capriato, Remarkable Results Radio, the gold standard of automotive aftermarket service podcast. Good to have you here. Little departure today. Oh God, yes. We got Jock Brocast with us, and he's an author, publisher, and researcher. And we're going to talk about grief. And when I met Jock, I was just magnetized to him because he was saying so many interesting things. We are so heavy in, into the Breaks for Breasts campaign for the breast cancer vaccine. I got to meet and to know the first recipient of the clinical trials for the vaccine or story. I mean, you talk about grief when you find things out. So it was like, wow, this would be so perfect as an industry. We're a big industry. A million people work in it. There's so much going on in our world and in our life, and we can't escape grief. And Jock has taught me this, and I think there's a whole better way in how we can all learn to deal with it. So Jock is going to talk about grief as a journey, that there's no healing or recovering from grief, and I was really surprised by that. I shared it with a friend who lost a wife many years ago, and he says, he's right. And grief is a potential for transformation and how you can, I guess, reinvent yourself. Jack, you can tell us about that. And the tips to cope with grieving, he's got a model to deal with it. I wouldn't be surprised that today grief is going to hit so, so many people in our world and to realize that there could be a way to get yourself through it. So thank you so much for being here. Jock is an author, publisher, and a researcher. And the first thing you're going to notice about Jock is he's from Scotland, right, Jock? Yes, I am. I come from a wee place in the north of Scotland, which a lot of your listeners have probably heard of, called Loch Ness. And before anybody emails in and asks you questions, no, I don't believe in the monster. <laughs> okay. I've been fishing in that loch. My excuse is I never caught nothing because the monster ate it, and I'm just going to go with that belief. <laughs> I love hearing people from the South with an accent that do speeches. It seems, Jock, that I listen more intently to someone who doesn't sound like the dialect that I'm from. I listen harder. I get it all the time, Carm. I have no matter, there is not a day goes by by someone says, I love your accent. I think your accent is, do, do I have an accent? I'm like, sure, you're from Virginia. You're from <laughs> Florida. You're, you're from New York. You've got an accent. I mean, they seem to gravitate towards a Scottish accent for some reason. They just, they, they seem to love it. But I will tell you something that's really funny though. There's only certain Starbucks that I can go to and all the girls and the guys have got to know me because if I go through a drive-thru of a Starbucks I don't know, they normally don't understand a word I'm saying. So I've got to slow down. I'm like, no, I said a double tall, extra hot, and I've got to really slow down because they don't get my Scottish accent. So now I've just got to know the people in two different Starbucks that I go to and I walk in and it's like, remember the old scene from Cheers where Norm goes in and they go, Norm! I kind of walk in and they go, Jock, usual! <laughs> or they take the newbie from Starbucks and say, go take care of that guy. And they sit back and they watch them fall on the floor laughing because they can't understand you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I have to slow down. Napa Auto Care Centers are recognized as an integral piece to what sets Napa apart from the competition. And the Napa Auto Care brand? Well, it continues to be fully integrated into the national marketing strategy by optimizing targeted media in local markets and in proven channels. Don't forget, Napa Auto Care Centers have an online presence on Napa Online with the Auto Care Locator Tool, generating millions of views per month. If you're interested in partnering with Napa Auto Care and capitalizing on America's largest network of parts and care, 
Talk to your Napa Auto Parts sales rep today. So let's talk about grief as a journey, Jock. Absolutely. You know, grief is something I'm fascinated about, not because it's just a research field of mine, but really because I'm still on the journey myself. I've experienced loss so much in my life from loved ones, from people in the military, in the battlefield. Grief has been an integral part of my life ever since I was a young kid. And one of the things that I realize is that Society is terrified of grief. We literally are scared to talk about it. There's many different aspects of grief. You know, we, we think about grief as losing a loved one, and that's true. But there's, there's a lot of different ways that we can grieve. The, the loss of a relationship, the loss of a job, the loss of identity. There's many different ways. I'm going to talk today a little bit more about losing a loved one because that affects us in every aspect of our life. It affects us at work. It affects us in company management and leadership. Grief is something that we cannot escape. And here's the thing, and you and I spoke about this, Carm. Grief is not something you can heal from. And it's not something that you can recover from. And I've seen a lot of programs that say we're we're going to have grief recovery. Well, it's not an addiction. So why do we label it as an addiction? If you're recovering from something, you're recovering from an addiction, from drugs, from alcohol, I've got a friend of mine who's, who's actually a pastor who's recovered from a sex and love addiction. There's so many different addictions, we label them. Well, grief is not an addiction. It's not a disease either, but we seem to have labeled it. We've labeled it as a disease, something that we've got to heal. And the reason you can't heal from it is because when you heal from a disease, it doesn't come back. You've healed, it's gone. Thing is, is grief is always there. So I always say to people, let's not look at grief as something from recovery. Let's look at grief as something that we integrate into our lives because it is a natural aspect of life. We will touch grief on every possible corner. We will touch it. I lost a loved one. Someone comes up to me and says, how are you dealing with it? I was doing a talk last night, a veteran community. These are platitudes that nobody wants to hear. The other thing they don't want to hear, like, I'm sorry for your loss. You'll never hear me ever saying, I'm sorry for your loss. One, I'm not sorry for your loss. I know they've gone on to to bigger and greater things because I believe in an afterlife. I believe on the other side. But the reason that I'm not sorry for your loss is because I don't want to be sorry for you. I want to engage with you. And if you've lost a loved one, you'll probably hear me say, you know what? Tell me about them. Tell me about your loved one. Tell me a funny story about them. Tell me what it was that attracted you to them. Tell me where you loved to go on holiday? What did you love to do? I don't want to get you into a place of feeling sorry. I don't want to take you down so that you get triggered and you start to feel that emotional aspect of grief inside you again. I want you to to bring the goodness and the divine power out of it. I want you to say, you know what, here's a funny story that happened with my loved one. It happened with John, James, Mary, whatever it was. And you get talking to them. Now, when you do that with someone, when they have lost a loved one, you do that to someone, watch their eyes. Something just sparks in them. Something beautiful starts to shine through. And rather than causing them upset, anguish, anxiety, putting them into a depressive mood, I want to raise them up and shine a light on their path. You can't stop in the middle of a really heavy discussion or something that's going on in a social circle and say, please tell me about something when the conversation isn't about them. But I guess your point is, if you can't say it, 
Is it better not to say anything? Let's say you're in a social group and someone expresses themselves, they're suffering through some kind of grief and obviously everybody's talking about a different subject. You don't want to turn around and just ignore it because then they feel ignored, but you also don't want to turn around and get into that subject because nobody else may actually be connected to it. But what you can turn around and say is how to elevate that. I say, you know, after we talk, after we finished here, I'd love to talk to you a bit more. I'd, I'd love to chat with you. And maybe we can do that. In fact, why, you know, let's go for a coffee or let's just have a chat afterwards. Make them feel like you want to hear from them. Make them feel like they are listened to. Because here's the biggest thing when we lose a loved one. And anybody that's listening, ladies and gentlemen, I will guarantee you that you feel disconnected from everyone and everything and anything. And that is what causes you a lot of suffering. And when people, when you see someone in the street or you see someone in a group and they, and they say, you know, how are you coping? What are you doing? These are platitudes. These are societal expectations. It's not necessarily the right thing to do, but it's what everybody expects. And here's the other thing. We say these things because we live in fear. People say these things, I'm sorry for your loss, because they're fearful. They don't want to get into it because... Mm, they might go into a, a bit of a deep cavern there they can't get out of. I love the analogy that Brenny Brown says. Brenny Brown says, you know, I don't want to sympathize because that's a bad thing. I want to empathize. Empathy is me getting into the well that you're in and sitting with you and being with you and then helping you to get out. I don't want to feel sympathy and look down and say, hey, God, you're in this dark well, let me throw you a torch. We, that's not how we cope with it. That's not how we deal with it. So there's, there's a great deal of fear in society about grief. We're terrified of it. We don't want to talk about it and we don't know how to approach it. And that's what we need to change. I can imagine. I'm trying to, uh, for the lack of a better word, empathize with someone who had a loss and I, a friend who did, but many, many years ago, to stop and think how your world will change because everything you've ever done, you've done as a partner, as a pair, if you lost a loved one, no matter if it was a child, which would be a crime to have a lose a child before you, you leave this earth. But if it was, if it was a spouse, you would stop to think you would probably have so much going on in your head. It says, well, we used to go to dinner here. We used to do this together. And now we're not a pair. We're not a couple. Everyone else is. Will I be included? Is my world going to change? So we're dealing with, to your point, all this fear. We don't even really know that's going to happen. But the weight, it seems, would be on us. Yeah, it is. And also to that point as well, we also feel disconnected from the fact that, you know, that I will not be accepted anymore because I don't have a partner. Because then when people are asking me to go to dinner or they go to a couple's dinner or I'm there on my own. And so there's an element where they don't know how to ask you to come to dinner because they're frightened and they've lost a loved one. We don't know how we're going to cope with that. And the person who's lost a loved one doesn't know if they're going to be accepted and they have a fear of that relationship again. And so there's a disconnect in this relationship. And so I want to teach people to go, be, to see beyond that, to go beyond that. I mean, so your friend has lost a loved one and you're going out for a couple's night. What's wrong with asking them to come? Because you can still help them and you're still talking around the table and you can get them engaged. 
You can talk about what you're normally talking about. You can ask them about their loved ones. There's ways of dealing with this and to make them feel included. And that's something that we need to do. And that comes from really getting an awareness and understanding about grief is something we integrate. It's not something that we need to recover or heal from. Grief is something that's a natural aspect of our lives. And so we just, we don't want to be fearful of it. We want to integrate it and embrace it. And it can help us to support someone who's grieving and it can help that individual. Boy, do I love your point. In so many cases, Jock, and I could think back to been around the world a little bit, people are going to die around you. And then you ask yourself, how can I help? And you don't do anything because you're so unsure of how to help or what the acceptance of that individual would be. As you're saying is if you were a friend of an individual who is going through grief because of the loss of a loved one is to try to act like nothing happened, but try to let life go on the way it was and let that individual assimilate. Because I guess the best thing you could do for someone is to include them. Include them. Don't disconnect them. They already feel disconnected. If you're disconnecting them through fear, you're throwing them into the possibility of mental anguish, anxiety, and even dropping into severe psychosis which then would need clinical help and stuff so you've got to be very you've got to be very careful you've got to be able to discern how you deal with someone and how you can support someone with grieving but here's the other thing that i love to do as well a lot of people who are grieving will say to me well i used to go to case in point i run a group for people who are grieving and in that group we have a, a, a subgroup for covid widows people who have lost their loved ones through covid and they're forever saying well used to go one of one of our members used to go biking with my husband and now I don't do it anymore. Or I used to go uh, travel to this place or go to this place for dinner. I can't do it anymore. And I'm always like, do it. Because I know that even though you can't feel that physical presence, your loved one is still alive. There's no such thing as death. Death is an illusion. We carry on. If you believe in heaven, whatever spiritual belief system you have, every spiritual belief system, there's this idea of, of a higher place, a heaven. And so if you believe that, then you're still connected. Remember, ladies and gentlemen, the bonds of love never break, even when they leave this earth. I want to give you an analogy. Think about how your loved one has just moved into the next room. They're still connected to you. They just moved into the next room. And so with that in mind, the bonds of love can never, ever, ever be broken. You are still intimately connected to them, even though they don't have a physical presence here. Their presence is in your mind, is in your heart, is in your memories, and you're still connected with them. And they still live on. I truly know they still live on. And so go to that restaurant. Invite your loved one to be with you. I guarantee you that you'll feel some form of presence. You'll feel comforted just in the knowledge that you used to do this and maybe they're not there now, but they're still there within you and they're still there in your, your heart and your mind. And they're just in the other room. So they're still being with you. Go on that bike, get on that bike and get out there and invite your loved one on the other side to come with you. Sometimes that's the greatest cathartic thing you can do. If you have a conversation in your home with your loved one, tell them about your day. Sit outside in the sun, talk to your loved one. Out. There's nothing weird about it. It's natural. Why? Because grief is natural. I have to tell you, you just made me relate to the coroner on NCIS and you ever see he talks to the the patient that's 
getting the autopsy done. And he says, I learned more by talking to my patient, <laughs> to his subject, if I did the autopsy. And I guess for the doctor, it's cathartic for him. And it may open their minds a little bit to say, you know, he never knew the person, but he talks to them as if he did. That is so interesting, Jock. And so let's take that analogy from that doctor. He is now not treating that body just like a piece of meat. He's not just doing a job where he's totally emotionally closed. He's created a connection. See, this is a person. This person had a family. This person lived. And so I want to honor that person. And how do I honor that person? Well, they may not be here physically, but I'm going to connect with them. And I'm going to connect with them spiritually. I'm going to connect with them in my mind and my heart. And that not only will help, obviously, the doctor, but it helps to create this balance, if you like. And, and I think that's important. You know, as cars become more advanced, manufacturers are getting sole access to important vehicle data while independent repair shops and vehicle owners are increasingly locked out from accessing vital repair data. But who owns the data? The vehicle owner or the manufacturer? When it comes to vehicle repair, the fight to secure data access for vehicle owners and their chosen independent repair facilities continues. U.S. Representative Bobby L. Rush introduced the Right to Equitable and Professional Auto Industry Repair, acronym REPAIR, R-E-P-A-I-R, Act to the U.S. House on February 3, 2022. The bill is aimed at giving small, independent repair shops the same kind of data access that licensed vehicle dealerships already receive. Americans should not be forced to bring their cars to more costly and inconvenient dealerships for repairs when independent auto repair shops are often cheaper and far more accessible, said Rep. Rush. But as cars become more advanced, manufacturers are getting sole access to important vehicle data while independent repair shops are increasingly locked out. The right to repair legislation should protect a pro-consumer and competitive motor vehicle repair market, provide independent repair shops with the rights to critical information, tools, and equipment needed to repair modern cars and trucks. The right to repair legislation should task the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration with developing cybersecurity standards and guidelines to protect vehicle data and systems when repair and maintenance data is accessed by vehicle owners. Please join the fight and help support Right to Repair by completing the form at www.autoadvocacy.org NAPA, which sends a letter to your member of Congress today. Right to Repair legislation protects your access to vehicle data and scan tools. This is critically important for the automotive heavy-duty paint and body industries. AutoCareAdvocacy.org NAPA. There's no healing and recovering from grief. You're talking about that. But can we use it to transform ourselves? Oh, absolutely. You know, here's the thing. You know, grief can become your greatest teacher or it can become your greatest nemesis. And the good Lord gave you a beautiful gift of choice. Talk about that in a little bit, my three stages, but you've got a choice. There's many people in their grief find that they have, they meet a moment. They come to a moment in time where they have this they have this kind of, a bit, I feel like a bit of enlightenment. They have a bit of a, an aha moment. And all of a sudden things changes for them. And what do they find in their grief? They find purpose. People are always searching for purpose in life. What's my purpose, Joe? What's my, I don't know what my purpose is. What is it? People are always looking for purpose. And the thing is with, with people in this world, we have a, a unique desire 
humanely to serve others, to be a service in some way. Very few people are really, I mean, yes, there are people that are selfish and they're all in for it for themselves. But for the most part, most people are good. They, they want to help people. And we see this all the time where people are struggling. Maybe somebody's out in the street, they struggle and people come over and, and help them or someone faints and the people are there because, you know, it's not because they decide, oh, somebody's fainted, I will go and help. It's just a natural response. You go into a dark room, what do you do? You look for the light without thinking. Boom, you put the light on and here we go, we got it. So we have this natural intuitive, this this natural spiritual response within us that wants us to serve. And that's important. That's really important. For most people here, we have people that driven by their purpose when they go through grief. They find a purpose out of it. I want to help other people through their grief. I want to, or even, you know, how do I be of, of benefit to other people? I want to now go and volunteer to work for a homeless shelter. I want to make a memorial of my husband or my wife or my child or anything so that I can serve. I have a great friend of mine. He's a ex, he's a veteran in the UK and he lost his son. And he went through some terrible times. And his son, I can't remember what his son passed with, but it was it was like a caught death, but it was something a bit weird. But now he found purpose in that. What was he going to do in his life? He's really seriously transformed because he didn't want other children to suffer. He didn't want other parents to suffer. So he set up a charity in Scotland and he went out and he, he loves mountain climbing. He's just recently come back from Everest. He, he got money together and he bought a caravan. And now people who have got are struggling or have problems with their kids, he offers them free holidays in this caravan in the north of Scotland. He found purpose in his suffering. And that's an amazing transformation. People can transform through their grief, through finding the purpose in it. It's a potential for transformation. It doesn't mean that you have to go out and find a new purpose and do it. But some people get through their grief by this whole reinvention thing. Absolutely. Reinvent themselves. It's not something that they have to do. It's not like, okay, you're now grieving. You will have to transform. It's something that happens within them and they feel a pull. It's like someone goes fishing and they put a fly in the water and the fish is just feels a pull to go towards that fly, you know, it boom to get it and it gets hooked. So they have an experience and that experience almost gives them a self-realization and they're like, you know what? I want to serve others. I'm going to help others because I don't want others to suffer because there's an innate thing inside of us where we don't like to see people suffering. We don't want them to suffer. Look, case in point, look at what's happening in Hawaii at the moment. So many people will come together. I'm even trying to set up something where I can maybe do some grief workshops and training and raise funds for those people over there. So in trauma, there is something beautiful that can come out of it. There will be people in Hawaii that will pull together. Same as in COVID, there was people that came together. Trauma is also not a negative thing to look at. Trauma can actually show us in lighter path. It can give us a means to transformation and purpose. It's how we accept that and how we come to it. Now, like I said, nobody has to do it. And most people will find something that transforms in their life through that experience. Remember that we're here and we're here to experience the world. There's a, a saying, and not going into religion, but in, in, in the Bible, be of the world, not in it. I always got mixed up or be in the world, not of it. But it was a saying from what Jesus said. And it's true. We don't want to be, we want to see things as an observer rather than a participant because it causes us suffering. 
You say the word trauma a couple of times here, and I'm trying to come up with understanding that. We're talking about grief, but is grief serious loss of a loved one a trauma? There's different forms of grief. There's anticipated grief. There's inexplicable grief, which is something I coined myself. There's absent grief. There's many different ways that we label things. In fact, then if you go on and research in the internet, there's like 20, there's, there's so many of these lists. I kind of cut that down to just a few because a lot of them kind of cover over each other. Now, to understand the ways that we grieve, traumatic grief could be something that shocks you to your core a murder, or it could be, you know, someone dies in an accident or a fire and it can traumatize you. It's, it's a feeling of this negative emotion that builds up and it just act, boof, it explodes within you. So yes, grief can be a trauma. It is a natural process as well. So let's go into COVID. People lose loved ones through COVID. And I think we spoke about this before. It's like the old analogy in Passover in the Old Testament, where this, this unknown force came down and took away the firstborn. And you look into that, the way it was written. That was an unknown force, confusion. There's everything else. COVID was almost like that. I kind of like to give that example because loved ones are traumatized through that experience because it's inexplicable. Why? Because if you've got a loved one who's passing and you've gone through anticipated grief, you can make a connection. Well, they've got cancer, so I know that they're ready to pass. I was just recently asked to go to a woman's bedside who was passing in a local area, and she had pancreatic cancer. Yes, there's, there's a level of grief. The loved ones are there that are experiencing because they're waiting on the loved one. But it's a different expression of grief. This is why you can't turn around and say that losing a relationship or losing a job is the same as losing a child or a loved one. And people do equate that. A lot of psychologists and people will say it's grief is just the same. It's not. The expression is different. So in that way, you can be traumatized because there's you have no nothing to link it to. Like that person died in a car accident or a motorbike accident. There's a label there. Like that's how they passed. And that level of trauma might be less than, well, this unknown force came and took my husband and took and social grief and then took millions of other people throughout the world. This force destroyed elements of humanity. It's, I can't equate it. There's nothing I can connect it with. That's inexplicable grief. That's something I coin. And so that would be a different type of trauma. I am taking notes and writing things down. This is such an incredibly heavy discussion. And I appreciate because I think so many of us that have not necessarily gone through this traumatic grief, I guess myself, anyone who's listening is probably going through their mind, their memories. I lost my mother in a terrible train accident the day after my birthday, and I can't remember, I was in my 20s when it happened a long, long time ago. And I recall, Jacques, in vivid living color, the how it all unfolded. And traumatic grief, that's what happened. And I probably was too young. There wasn't a guy like Jacques I could actually read or listen to to figure it out. So it probably took me an awful long time. But did I ever get over it? No. You never do. Yeah. But you have to integrate it. Yeah. Great, great point. Wow. Let me give you an example as well, which I think because you're in an industry that's huge. It's a huge automotive industry. So let's take an example of a leader in that industry who's grieving and they're going through so many emotions. If I can't teach them, if, if I can't give them the tips, the tools and, and how they, they can cope with it in a better way, how does it affect the company and the business? So many ways, because if they are not able to assimilate, if they're not able to integrate it, one, they can make the wrong decisions in business. 
They can be driven through their emotions and make the wrong decisions. They can destroy their relationships in the company at the leadership level. And that one thing that they do could be a domino effect that goes right down to the corporate floor, right down to the automotive floor. One person's grief can affect that person who's maybe changing a tire or putting a spark plug in or whatever it is, right? So be gardeners. Let's sow seeds of change in people's hearts and people who are grieving. Let them understand that this is not a bad thing. This is not a disease. And this can really serve you well and it can help you to serve others and support others. And maybe then things will be your journey. Whilst it will be hard at the beginning, as you go through the journey, it can become your greatest spiritual teacher that ever existed for you. That's such a great point. I did an episode just recently with a a fellow named Joe Marconi. Many people in the industry know who Joe is. And we were talking about deep think and how it could take our mind off of things if we as the leader don't have empathy for the baggage that many people bring to work. And we're torquing a tire. We want to make sure all the lugs are tight, but we're in our deep think. I think it's important to your point, Jock. I'm so glad these may may be back-to-back episodes that we can put together to recognize that not if the leader's going through grief, that to your point, it could change the scope of the business if that person can't cope But just think of the team that you work with. Think of somebody losing a key person in their life and how they're going to need to deal with it and the time off that they may need or just maybe the discussions and the talk and what their supervisors or leaders in this automotive industry. We don't go to school for grief counseling. We don't go to school to be better listeners. We don't go to school for soft skills. We have to learn all that stuff. And it's hard. Here's the thing. How does the leader recognize that someone on the floor is grieving really badly? I'm sure there's people out there that work on the automotive floor that have lost a loved one to suicide, to murder, that have gone missing. That is, how do you deal with that? Well, if you can learn to deal with that at grassroots level, then maybe, just maybe, your workforce becomes one more balanced more focused, and it's a happier place for people to work in because here's the thing. Leaders, if you're out there and you can recognize someone who's grieving, your skill is not on how you lead. Your skill is how you listen. And if you really learn how to listen, you'll become a better leader. Well, well, thank you for that. That was a slam dunk. Let's talk about our tips to cope with grieving. There's so many things that will tell you a list of things to do. This is how I want to make things simple. I'm a a believer, being an an ex-British soldier, we had a saying in the army, keep it simple, stupid. And the way that I like to break things down is, is let's look at it from three points. My model for coping with an understanding is very simple is awareness, acceptance, and choice. You have to have an awareness that you're grieving. You have to have an awareness that you're now on that journey. When you come to a level of acceptance, you have to accept it. Accept it and integrate it into your being. And then have the choice. You have the choice. God has given you the choice to make it, to either to become your greatest teacher or your greatest nemesis. That's down to you. One thing that I'll say is don't be afraid to express your grief. This is how you cope, ladies and gentlemen. Let's say, for instance, someone says to you, how are you feeling? How are you coping? Do not hold back and say, you know what? I'm fine. Because we know you're not. Have the courage and the conviction say, well, you know what? I'm finding it hard. This is what I'm going through at the moment. And it might be shocking for the other person to listen, but you must express your grief. You must express it in any way that you can. That's one tip that I'll give you. Do not be afraid to express your grief. Do not be afraid 
to tell the stories of your loved ones, to bring your memories to the forefront and engage them, engage those memories with other people. And here's the third biggest tip, and I could give you loads and loads of tips, but I'm going to give you one of the biggest tips. Do not be afraid to keep the relationship with your loved one alive because they are still alive and they're still connected. Talk to them. Go out if you're out for a hike and a walk and say, you know what, I used to do this with you, but I know that you're with me, but look at this scenery. You know, we can we can still enjoy this together because I know that you're seeing things. It's very cathartic. Talk out loud. It's not stupid to express it and talk out loud. I love this. Awareness, acceptance, and choice. And what you're saying when you say choice, Chuck, is that the choice is to move on. The choice is to accept the choice. What is the choice piece? How does that really work for me? How would you coach me on your third piece of the model choice? Okay. So choice, I don't want you to choose to move on. You don't have to move on. Why does someone have to say, move on, get on with it, get on with your life, just move on. We don't want to hear that's like another platitude, but the choice is okay. I can choose to transform. I don't want to suffer anymore. I don't want to shed the tears. I want to continue my life knowing that my loved one is still around me. I want to continue my life knowing that I can still enjoy life because God gives you a beautiful miracle of life every day. You've got 24 hours to live it. How you live it is again your choice. You can either throw it away or you can live it to the best of your ability. Forget about the money. Forget about the material life. Forget about that. Just live for the moment. Meet the moment head on. And maybe just maybe things will change for you for the better. Don't question yourself. If people will say to me all the time, I've lost a loved one, but I want to have, I think I, I can't date again. I can't find another person. Yes, you can. There's no rules set that you don't have to you know, live your life in order to fulfill your own destiny or to fulfill your hopes and your dreams and your desires. You don't have to get through it. I think I figured it out. <laughs> I know you figured it out, but I think I did. I just wrote down these words for choice. Keep on living. Keep on living because you've been given the gift of life and choose. Here's use that transformation, use that power to serve others. Because when they see that you're living your life and you're taking it by the horns and meeting it head on and you're still connected, you know, here's the thing, ladies and gentlemen, and this might freak some of you out. Don't believe in anything. People ask me all the time, do you believe in this? No, I don't. I don't believe in it. Do you believe in the afterlife? No. Do you believe in? No, I don't. Because here's the thing. If I believe in something, I'm believing in the perceptions and expectations of others. Belief changes regularly. People's beliefs change, which means that there's room for interpretation. And But if I know, there's no gray area. If I know, then I'm coming from a total different level. I'm coming from truth. I'm coming from the divinity within me. I know there's an afterlife. I know Jesus was real. I know what I do. I know these things. I don't want to believe in anything because I don't want any room for interpretation. I want to know. So know your loved ones are still there and know that you can live your life still with full vigor and service of others. And that's the greatest gift that you can give anyone, including yourself and humanity. What an ending. I wrote down, keep on living. And then you come by and you say, well, people's beliefs change. And that means you got to keep on living. You can't live in the old. You have to live in the new and allow your beliefs to change no matter what they may be. Yeah. Wow. You taught me a lot here, my friend. It's a pleasure. And I hope, you know, people out there that are listening, I think of myself as a gardener. 
And I've just sown a little seed and it's up to me to show you how to cultivate that seed and grow a beautiful tree. But it's up to you. It's your choice. You can either cultivate that seed with love and compassion and grow it, or you can let the weeds weeds grow around it, you know, strangle it and take its life force out of it. I'll show you how to plant the seeds. I'll show you how to cultivate it. It's up to you to grow a tree. A wonderful metaphor. Wow. Jockbrokas.com. J-O-C-K-B-R-O-C-A-S.com. Author, publisher, researcher, grief expert. Wow. You taught me a lot. Thank you so much. I hope I never have to use your teachings. (laughs) Well, I hope you do, but I hope you do it in service to others. I hope that you do in order to help others on their grief journey. Well, the reality is I will need it someday. We almost do. And hopefully it's a long, long way off. Anyway, thank you, Jock Brokas, so much for being on the show. Appreciate it. Now, I know that you probably learned something and positive you did. So now use it and go do something about it. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for being on board to listen and learn from the premier automotive aftermarket podcast. Until next time. 